Good to see Got your faces, it. everyone. Good morning. Virtual faces. Yeah, virtual. Again. Mm, Brady Bunch faces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How how have you uh, how have you all been? Um, busy. But wait, has it actually been as long as I think it has? Because when the last time we recorded, we were talking about gearing up for September and how September was going to be a nightmare. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was like two months ago. Yeah, but it's November. Like, it feels like yesterday to me. <laughs> oh. September has yet to end. <laughs> that's yeah. true. It does there's, feel like I that. There, I think there's a song about that. Wake me up when September ends. I think that's about the rains. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah. That's a Green Day song, I think. Yeah, Green Day. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so that's how I feel. I feel like September has yet to end. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, yeah, because we are now in the like throes of like on the counseling side of um, hiring people and gearing up for the, the Douglas County crisis line and 988 to start. And so mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff is popping off and it makes for a busy life experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing lots of like school trainings or we had been. I think those are coming to an end, but just been doing also a lot of like policy work for schools and agencies. And Meg's yep. been doing hella sources of strength shit. Yes, I have. And I got a new kitten. His name is Boo Jr. Boo Jr. Mm -hmm. What was Boo Sr. like? Oh, it was a real nightmare. Oh, for everyone except for me and my family. Mm -hmm. He was a like spindly little Chihuahua Terrier mix, and he was everything to me. Oh, he, he was, was a dog. Boo Sr. Mm -hmm. was a dog. Boo yeah. Jr. was a cat. Yeah. Okay. Just, don't question it. Yeah. Just, just clarifying. Boo was like, Boo Sr. was like Meg's most cherished pet, I feel like. Truly. And truly. He was like one of those little like ankle biters, you know, mm -hmm. to anyone else who would walk into their house. It was really annoying. Bark, bark, bark. Bite, bite, bite. Bite, bite, yeah. bite. Yep. Rest no matter how yeah, long you knew him. The whole senior junior dog cat thing is kind of a mind fuck. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel a little thrown off by it? <laughs> really expected the senior to be also a cat, but it's fine. It's not weird. It's normal. It is normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's how I work through my grief. Kristen. It's okay. <laughs> Whatever works. We love grief, grief work. Here. I love that for us. We're not talking about grief today. No. We are. We're not. No, is grief, grief although like today? grief is a component? Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, Ryan, is, is aren't we always talking about grief? Yes. Yeah. Jared, how have you been? Beating the same dead horse. Um, Erica hates that. Jared, Kristen hates that. Sorry. <laughs> Jared, how you been? Um, uh, I've been good. I. I'm enjoying uh, fatherhood being nine months in. And oh, nine months. So that, that keeps us very busy. Um, the 988 stuff is exciting. Um, 
the advocacy that's happening at the state level is exciting. Uh, Monica gave some testimony the other day that was really cool. Um, so yeah, I'm just hopeful for the future because we're we have lots of expansion things going on at HQ. So true. You guys, hmm. my 24 cases of flooring is waiting at the Home Depot for <gasps> um, installation. So Yay. they just have to set an installation date and then I'll have new floors in the living room in the office. And that is very exciting. Nice. Is that the like final piece for those rooms? Mm -mm. Oh. No, it, it's close to the final piece for the living room. Um, as you all know, I got a new fan in the living room because you know that because I've sent you pictures. Um, and adding a new fan made Lyra bark, but then she's gotten used to it. And then it got cold. And so it's like, I'm gonna turn off said new fan. Um, and apparently for Lyra, that was a new experience. And so she couldn't handle it. And I had to figure out how to turn the fan back on, which was a process because it's a remote. Um, and the whole time she was just like scream barking at the, oh, no. <laughs> so I was like fumbling to try to turn on the fan so that she would stop barking at it. And anyway, they sent her outside and found how to turn the fan and all is right with the world. It's just a little chilly in here. So now you're just gonna be freezing. <laughs> yeah, it's all over here. Setting, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into it. I don't have a segue in me. I just, I just. It's I just, okay. I just Today we're gonna to be talking about assertiveness 2.0. Jared, 2 .0. Jared, get us started, please. Can you rephrase it? 2.0. 2 2.0. 2.0. Assertiveness, level two. Yes. You, you're enrolled in assertiveness 200. Oh, 200. <laughs> we, we, we want to talk about assertiveness because... Um, Wait, is it, is it 200 or is it 102? I think it's 200. I think, I think it's 200 too. Like we're taking it up a notch, right? Okay. Like okay. 102 is just, just a little bit up. And I feel like. Ah. You, do you all really far. say O for zero? Only when we In say this 2. Case, Okay. Just curious. No I one has ever said 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> like no one. Well, I would beg to differ because I just did. I mean, you did. But was it right? And it was a bust, apparently. <laughs> 2.0. All right. Well, I tried to segue us. If we were doing like 2.0 kilograms or something, like a measurement, it would be okay. Sorry, Jared. Go on. It's fine. This is a riveting conversation. Jared's going to have to use his assertiveness skills to get us back on track. Yeah. Because we're... A hot I, mess. Mean, I, I will admit that assertiveness is not necessarily my forte. When, when I started, it was the thing that I was scared of most. And I think in, in training, you know, we, we give people kind of the, the bones that, that they need like, to be able to respond assertively to callers. Um, but there is a lot of assertiveness that's, that has to be developed over time. And, and through observation of other people, through coaching and supervision. Like I think a lot of those things get developed. Um, but we wanna talk about assertiveness 
at, at kind of a higher level because it's a topic that comes up as people have been on the phones for a while. So I don't think our intention is to like speculate so much about um, like reasons why callers um, require assertiveness or like the psychology, I guess, behind callers who require assertiveness, but more to talk about um, what's happening for counselors when they have to be assertive and how to safely navigate that. Safe for the caller, safe for the counselor. So yeah, we should, we should start with some definitions um, of what we mean. The other thing is that oftentimes people don't, that, like when they start training, when they come to an information session, you know, we don't necessarily inform you that you'll be taking callers, calls from people who may be calling for like nefarious or um, nefarious reasons or maybe ill-intentioned. Um, and it's not really an expectation, but it is something that kind of comes with the territory, unfortunately. Um, and that that's why we talk about it. That's why other centers talk about it um, so that people can be prepared. But no one's ever really prepared for the first like sexually motivated call that comes in that takes you off guard and makes you feel violated and terrible. Mm -hmm. Or even the really angry ones. I think we talk about people being angry, but it can be hard to um, separate yourself from that anger. Um, and, and there are lots of different calls in which assertiveness is needed. Sometimes it can be really, um, like subtle assertiveness, right. Or innocuous. And then other times it's blatant, like with sexually motivated callers or like callers that are abusive. Yeah. And so I think that there's nuance I mean, and that's one of the things that's really hard about training. And that's one of the things that's really hard about um, talking through calls is that if we are able to like put down procedures for every single call that comes in, I think a lot of times people would feel like more prepared um, but because the work that we do is really nuanced and it has to do with the caller and their personal reasons and it has to do with the counselor and all of that, then it's, yeah. it's impossible to like, to, to talk through every scenario. Mm -hmm. And so we have to talk sort of in these broad terms um, and then hope that that translates to individual calls. Mm -hmm. But also hope that like people feel empowered to utilize supervision and to like, reach out. I mean, I feel like from the get-go, even from like interview, um, we talk about the level of support that is provided and, and, you know, for the most part, like needed to sustain this job or this volunteer position. Um, so I think like, no, we, we can't, it would be impossible for us to prepare for every crisis scenario. Um, what, what do you all think our, our basic assertiveness skills boil down to? Um, I, I have some thoughts, but I'm, I'm just curious to, to simplify what, what we teach, how would you frame it? I mean, I think the, the word that comes to mind for me is like safety. Mm -hmm. We wanna keep the caller and the counselor safe. Yeah, I, th I think like 
ultimately we carry that intention in how we approach those calls. And I, I mean, a lot of our basic assertiveness skills rely on foundation counseling skills mm -hmm. as, a, as a means of de-escalating. Um, the, the, the communication skills that we teach inevitably um, result in, in de-escalation if we're using a calm tone of voice, if we're reflecting the feelings that are stated and, um, and the undercurrents that are present. I think that we're approaching the call in a way that gives us the best chance of de-escalation versus escalation. One way that I think about the way that headquarters teaches assertiveness skills is through like a lens of compassion. Mm -hmm. um, like you were saying, Jared, we use foundational counseling skills in order to set boundaries. And I think that that's a really compassionate way to, to be assertive with callers. And we don't call it like compassionate assertiveness, but that's what I, that's how I like to explain it. And Kristen remembered her thought. I just typed it so I wouldn't forget again. But I, I think one of the things that for me, assertiveness boils down to is like having a goal of, of turning a, maybe what feels like a non-productive call into a productive call. And that isn't always gonna be possible. Um, like there are some topics that, that, that we're not gonna try to like lean into, but I, I think that the goal is, is to, to help is is to help the caller feel like it has been a productive call and sometimes that's a hard um that that's again a nuanced thing because our definition of productive versus the caller's definition of productive may be different and um, i had this i had this conversation this week with a counselor and um they they said that they wanted the caller to end feeling like they got something out of it they wanted the caller, the call to end with the counselor feeling calm. And I think that like that is a good, a good way to approach every call. It's like you, you want to have that goal in mind. And it's important to draw back and think about like the moments in the call where your counseling skills did de-escalate the person. Because typically, if a call goes on for 30 minutes and they've been um, aggressive at different points but they've stayed on the line, then there's gonna be opportunities to reflect and say, okay, well, when I did this, you know, they responded back to me either apologetically or they refocused their conversation on what they were feeling um, and they stopped taking out their aggression on me. And I think those are little wins, even if, even if the conversation doesn't end feeling like super great. I, I think how we measure success changes with every call because yeah. every call is different. And, and we have to keep that in mind because I think if you, if you walk into the call room or if you walk into a contact um, with a definition of success in your head, then it will be, it will be difficult to like force every call to fit into that definition, right? Well, like, I think that that you're improving every time too. So it is going to change and be different because your skills get stronger, you practice and you become more comfortable and confident in, in setting boundaries and being assertive. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Kristen. You're fine. I, I have so many different calls in my head where it was really important for me to manage my definition of success. 
like my measurement of success. And that like, like we talk about with the safety plan and with the turning point and all of that stuff, it feels like in a lot of ways that measurement of success has to come from the caller and not from us, which is just a, sort of another way of, of like separating ourselves from yeah, that. A, a seasoned mental health professional once told me, um, don't be married to the outcome. And those words kind of stick with me. I think like if we're, if we're overly tying our sense of um, uh, not worth, but our sense of accomplishment to the outcome of the call, and we're evaluating ourselves too heavily on that, then we're we're centering ourselves, and we're no longer centering the caller. Um, and our approach should always be caller focused. Um, that, that that's not to say that we're not going to have feelings about the outcome. Like that's. Like there are some days where I'm going to evaluate my abilities as a counselor very closely to, to how the call ended or what the outcome was. But, but I think it's important to remind ourselves that, that that's focusing on ourselves. Does that make sense? I think is there so. a better way to say that? I mean, I think, it, I think it, when I kind of have conversations related to this, um, I think it's, it kind of goes back to the, like, that feeling of responsibility of being able to do something to help. Um, and I mean, I, it's something that we talk about from day one is like, our responsibility isn't to change a person's circumstance or to fix anything. Our responsibility is to listen and um, if, if we can do that, then that's what success is, regardless of I mean, it's not necessarily that we're here to make people feel better all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that, that places a lot of power on us to, to change people's emotional states and moods. Mm-hmm. We're here to share burdens, you know, and to, to shoulder burdens. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we have kind of some, some broad categories for thinking about types of calls. We, you know, we have sexually motivated calls, which require a certain level of assertiveness to maintain counselor safety, um, which is in those case, in, the, in those types of calls, we're most focused on counselor safety, unless there's, you know, some type of risk associated with, with the, a sexually motivated caller, but typically there's not. Typically we're just running the risk of being exposed to um, something harmful. And I think more often we find we're getting slimed as the uh, as the saying runs in the call room. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's not a good feeling. Um, but I think more often we're we're running into counselors who like behave in some type of aggressive way towards counselors. Callers um, who behave callers. in some sort of oh, yeah, excuse me. Yeah. callers who behave aggressively or demonstrate some type of um, and I, I would actually categorize this maybe different, uh, some type of mani- manipulation towards the counselor, like mm-hmm. u- using, um, using phrases or, or statements to like keep, keep a counselor on the hook, so to speak, or kind of playing on the emotions of the counselor as a means of getting, the, getting their needs met ultimately, whatever their needs may be. Um, or like, you know, like, with their words, like making the counselor responsible for the caller's emotion. Yeah. 
So I, I think a lot of times, and, and we won't, I think, like you said, spend a lot of time on the motivation of the caller, but I think a lot of times that like, there's a, there's a sort of fight or a flight response that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we're, what we're hearing as the counselors is, is somebody like flailing to try to stay above water. And mm -hmm. that looks like that looks differently for all of us. We all, we all try to keep from drowning in different ways. And mm -hmm. for us, like as a, as a group and as, most of the folks that work at headquarters, we do that through like talking it out. Like, do you have the capacity to listen to me vent? You know, like mm -hmm. we can do it in a way that is productive both for us and for the person that we're talking to, but not everybody has those skills or access to those skills. What, one of the phrases that comes to mind um, that, that callers may use is like, that puts counselors in a tight spot and kind of causes that, um, initial flood of adrenaline is like if a caller states if you call the cops i'm going to kill myself mm -hmm. and, and that's just kind of an, an, an example of a statement where you feel like you're between a rock and a hard place you're not sure how to respond um so or if you put me on hold i'm going to kill myself or if mm -hmm. you hang up or if you like sort of using that mm -hmm. i think i think Cops, I'm gonna, if you call the cops, I'm gonna kill myself is a more common one. Um, but it, 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 it kind of is that same, if you do this, mm -hmm. then I'll have no choice but to do this. And it will be your fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how do you navigate that when, when the, like to, to boil it down or to simplify it, counselor is putting the responsibility of their safety on you. The caller is putting the responsibility of theirs. I, I keep, I keep fucking that up. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess I'd be curious to hear how each of us navigates that, like internal, like internally, but also verbally to the caller. Mm -hmm. Because to me, like it has taken a lot of work like personal growth and in, in my own like therapeutic experience um, to understand that like I am not responsible for anyone else's behaviors. Um, the only thing that I'm responsible for are my choices, my words, my, my actions um, and my feelings. And nobody gets to own responsibility for my stuff and I don't get to own responsibility for anyone else's stuff mm -hmm. um and so like that's how you know when somebody says if you do this then that's then I'm gonna have no choice well that's not true you you would have a choice and maybe I wouldn't argue with that person necessarily but in my head it's like no that's a manipulate, like, it's just, a I'm just able to recognize, like, they're intentionally trying to manipulate me to make me feel responsible for their choice. Mm -hmm. And that's not my responsibility. I don't know how else to describe that. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like your brain is flagging it as, okay, like, that's, mm -hmm. that's a potentially manipulative behavior. I, mm -hmm. I know where this person is coming from. Mm -hmm. I think the way that I, I kind of want to respond to how I, how I, would I verbally experience it or respond to mm -hmm. it. I mean, um, 
because what what I'm hearing when someone says, if you call the cops, I'll kill myself. I'm hearing that their like power and control and autonomy in this case is really important to them. Mm -hmm. And so I think I want to acknowledge that through a value reflection. Mm -hmm. And then I want to reflect ambivalence. So that's literally exactly what I was going to say. So you can finish the thought and I'll mute myself again. <laughs> Please add it. But I think I would say something like I can hear your autonomy is really important to you in this moment. And suicide's a really very real option for you. You also mm -hmm. called and that tells me that there's a part of you that wants to stay safe. Well, let's talk about both in, in some manner. Mm -hmm. I, I think all of that, I think I also throw in like one of my main, um, like one of my main goals in this call is to, um, is to do everything that I can to help you find a way to stay safe. And if we can't come to that, then I also have an obligation to like go outside of that. Like, outside of our conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and and so it, it really depends on whether I bring in like the obligation piece of it, but I will sometimes because mm -hmm. it's true and I wanna be transparent. There isn't a time where I'm gonna say, I'm not gonna call. Like my, my and, and I may say my goal is never to call the police. Like, mm -hmm. uh, like my goal is to help you connect to safety mm -hmm. um, in whatever way that looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, as much as possible, we're trying to, like when someone feels, like in this case, I'm kind of assuming a, a caller does not feel like they have much control. And so they're using this statement as a means of gaining control. My response to them wants to, I wanna double down and be like, you know what? You think that I'm gonna respond by taking your control, but guess what? I'm gonna empower the shit out of you. <laughs> like. And, well, and, yeah. and that can that can be off-putting in a way that I think allows people to like reconfigure and potentially connect with the counselor. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a laissez-faire like approach, like ultimately your safety is, is up to you and right. you called. So what would be helpful right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That what would be helpful question is so useful in so many different scenarios, mm -hmm. including assertiveness scenarios, right? Like, you know, I mean, you're not going to uh, ask a sexually motivated caller what would be helpful because yeah. I feel like we understand the answer to that. Not um, And that's not the service that we provide. To that. <laughs> the internet provides that service, not us. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I, I like, what would be helpful to you, I think is a, especially if you put it that way. I think sometimes if you say, how can I help? Um, then, then that can put the onus back on you. And yet mm -hmm. there are also times that I have said that, like yeah. how, how can I help in this moment? Um, because like yes. here we are. Right, sometimes, sometimes it's like, especially if, you're, if, if, if this conversation has been heated on the caller's end for a while, um, like I have, I can remember a scenario where I like essentially was like, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, yeah. like we've been talking for 45 minutes. Um, I, you know, like I have been listening and validating your feelings. I, you know, I, I don't know what else to do. Uh, and, and I just, I, I want to understand what it is that you want out of this call. 
that I think that is a really good that's a really good thing I think I have just straight up called out things before like I don't I don't it is hard for me to tell if this call is helpful for mm -hmm. you because it 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 feels like um you're still experiencing a lot of anger yeah and a lot of that anger is being directed at me and so is there something that can happen in this call where where um we can change mm -hmm. that or you know where we yeah. can diffuse that or something erica you, your statement just made me think about kind of a, um a higher level assertiveness skill which is knowing when to effectively end a contact mm -hmm. whether whether that contact has been positive and productive but mm -hmm. is Which reaching are the harder ones to end i think yeah those those ones are hard because you're like this has been great i feel yep. awesome i'm the best mm -hmm. counselor alive i want to mm -hmm. keep this going but at a certain point it's no longer helpful um and so ending that contact requires a level of assertiveness and also kind of like okay like it's time to end the call like that that flag needs to go up in your brain and mm -hmm. the same is true for um calls that are not productive due to a caller's behavior um but what we're doing is is transparently stating like it seems like this call hasn't been productive because when you when you started the conversation you were escalated and angry at me and you're still escalated escalated and angry at me so i'm wondering if it would be more helpful to end this contact now than mm -hmm. to continue it yeah um and and again we're, we're like approaching it the same way we would if it's um a contact that's going really well yeah yeah i think that like sometimes this higher level of i'm curious what you all think um because you know we can it's so easy to for the lack of a better word like personalize a caller's anger um especially if they are saying things directly to you like where did you where did you go to school to learn these skills i remember a call like that like uh do you even how you how old are you you sound so fucking naive like like <laughs> and it's just like yeah uh especially when you're just you know, doing this for the money sorry that's yeah, another one you're just doing this for the money you don't actually give a shit about me you just do this because you feel like you need to be a savior like that kind of shit and it's like pushing buttons that like are already um on my radar, you know, halfway like, pushed. Yeah, they're already like, like they're, partially, <laughs> partially yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like <laughs> that person just kind of log and finishes the job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so it can be really easy, easy to personalize some of those things. Um, and so I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are about bringing your humanity into the call, like the counselor's humanity into the call and saying something really transparent like i'm getting the sense that this call isn't helpful right like because what we're doing is we're bringing our perspective and feeling sometimes even into the call like this call doesn't feel good to me <laughs> uh and i don't know how to fix that i don't know what to do about that do we need to end this call? Maybe you need to talk to somebody else who isn't me. Like, I don't know. I don't know how else to ask the question or think of, I can't think of more examples of like how you, what that sounds like. Um, but I can remember times where I would bring my own emotion into with, without in a, in a non-blaming way, if that makes sense. 
I, I, I'm a big proponent of that because I think it's, it's essentially a little, it's, there's some experientialness in it, right? Like, um, this is the experience that we're both having and we aren't like, we aren't robots on the end of the end of the phone. And one of the things that makes us effective counselors is that we have empathy, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and yet, like what we're asking with assertiveness and all of that stuff is to manage that empathy, mm -hmm. right? Like to have empathy, to be present in the call, but to also not take it personally, which is, which is a lot to ask. I said in chat earlier that like, we can't take out our empathy. So we have, so we have to like, and thus we'll have feelings, but we have to manage kind of the shame and guilt and helplessness that these cause can call cause that these calls can cause. We're all struggling today. <laughs> Yeah, birds are hard. We haven't done this in a long time. Yeah. Um, I think that, I think that there, like I said, it, that tends to be in my bag of tricks, pretty close to the top, um, depending on, it, on what is happening. But I have to go into that with eyes wide open yes. because it can backfire. And so I have to be enough like disconnected from my, from owning something and 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 bringing myself into it that they can't use it against me if that mm -hmm. makes sense right like so if i'm going to say i feel like this is what's happening i have to be prepared for that not landing well yeah and then not taking it personally mm -hmm. if that makes yeah. sense and so <laughs> there's a lot of thought that goes into it like i'm doing this purposefully because mm -hmm. i can't move the because I don't know how to move the call. And maybe if we can connect on this level. Of like um, feeling but, stuck. <laughs> yeah, of feeling stuck. And I feel stuck too. Like I'm here and I'm the counselor and I'm struggling to figure out how to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and they can easily turn that around and say, well, that's because you're a shit counselor mm -hmm. or because you're bad at training or, you know, I mean like, mm -hmm. and so I have to be prepared for that to go walking into that. Mm -hmm. What's y'all's response if somebody, uh, responds to you saying uh well nobody can help me like i'm it's pointless to even try like you know i stump everyone or whatever like make it about them you know yeah you know what i mean I, I think if that i think if that's the response then all right we're talking about your feelings and your values let's go there like, right i i want to i want to reflect that those things back to you yeah. have a conversation about that. I think that's, yes, yeah, that can deepen rapport for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. And also like getting, like you can in some way circle back to ambivalence and, and say like, you feel like nobody can help you yet. You keep trying like, like that's, you know, we can, we can do that in a way that doesn't make them feel more hopeless. <laughs> but that tells me that there's, that there's a part of you that wants to be okay. And, and yeah. that wants to, that, that does have hope and that's huge. Yeah. I, yeah. lo I love like sprinkling ambivalence into, into statements like that. Um, yeah. and it and may not take the form of like a traditional ambivalence statement, but we're, we're still elevating it in the, the conversation mm -hmm. in our, in our reflection. Yeah. We're having this really deep conversation about this, but Meg's statement about like, um, um, no one can help me made me flash to one of my least favorite calls. And that's the one where people call and they're like, I, know that I'm smarter than you and I'm oh, yeah. smarter than this process than this yeah. process and that no one can change my mind mm -hmm. but I'm here to challenge you to even try right it's like, like existential that's, callers 
that's its whole other form like there's a whole lot of psychology behind that and I can like when I step back and I'm not in that call like I can understand where that's coming from and it's a defense mechanism and blah 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 Mm -hmm. right like I get all that but that one is the one where I'm like why are you I struggle with the existential calls I remember this so here's an example of bringing my own like personal feelings into the call I remember having an existential caller who, and that was one of the callers was like, that's so fucking naive. Like you're so naive. If you think that there really is a part of me that wants to stay alive or, or if you think that there really is uh, hope for me. And it's, so I remember saying like, okay, like I'll let you, like, you can, you can think that I'm naive all you want, but that's not going to change my hope for you. And you don't get to own my, my hope for you. Like, sorry, it exists in me, not in you. And like, it's mine. <laughs> and that like the response was kind of um, like touche. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the, I, that's the hard part is that those calls feel like it's a game. And, yeah. and that's like manipula- yes. manipulation is in the room and it's, you're going to have to navigate it every step of the way. And it is emotionally exhausting. And- yes will take the wind out of your sails. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, like sometimes I, depending on on like my state of mind and where I'm at, sometimes like I can have, I can approach it with an attitude of, of like, all right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, okay, fine. We, we can do this. We can play a game. And there are other times where I, I am just like, oh no, mm-hmm. like not, not today. Like, um, I don't, I don't, don't want to prove myself to you, um, because mm-hmm. that isn't what this is about. Like you give zero shits about whether or not I've had training or whether or not I'm a clinician or whether or not I'm any good at this. Mm-hmm. It is not what this is about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think like, Eric, like the, that conversation that you had sometimes, I think in those calls, it's about being really straightforward, like, yeah. cool, you know, like, I I hear you. There's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to change your mind. And so let's talk about that. Like, how's that going for you? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but, but also I'm not going to change my own mind about hope. I have it and you can't take that away, (laughs) but I'm going to own the things that belong to me. And so Mm -hmm. like we, that's cool. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that sets a good example too, for the caller. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't assign the way that this counselor is feeling just like they can't assign the way that I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because th- what they want is at least in that call, it was like, I want to bring you down to my yeah. level. Like I want you to feel as hopeless as I do. I want to, pr- I, and, and not really, it's not like in a malicious way. It's more right. like, I want to prove that the world is as hopeless as I know it is. Mm-hmm. I want if, that. If I can prove that, then I can kill myself. Then I can, then, then <laughs> it makes me feel less shameful about my feelings. Yeah. Like, like if I can prove that, then it, it, it isn't as crazy that I'm suicidal. Right. Right. Like there's a lot of shame associated with mental illness yep. and there's a lot of feelings of brokenness and like comparison um like trauma comparison and all of that stuff and I think that that uh, sometimes that is in an effort to say 
it, I'm not crazy for feeling this way. Like if, right. if I can prove, if, if no one around me can prove that there is hope, then I'm not crazy. I'm not broken. It's just the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have to feel as much shame around this. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I think when the person, when a person is trying trying to bring, bring you down to their level of, of hopelessness, like in this example, I think the thing that comes screaming forward is that that person is craving some type of connection. Yep. And like, they're trying to connect on that call in the way that they know how, which mm-hmm. I think brings us to a, like an important question that we wanted to ask. And that's what is the role of, of trauma and life experience in these calls, both from the perspective of callers um, and then also from the perspective of counselors. But first, I think the connection thing is an important part because I think no matter who or for what reason somebody is calling us, even in sexually motivated calls, the, like the the underlying like piece there is connection. Yeah, it is just that people do not always, people rarely <laughs> have the skills to ask for that connection in a rarely. way that is palatable yes. for for us, yeah. and and that allows for like human experience to exist right like like i said earlier we can say do you have the capacity to hear my trauma and also say no not right now but think about the level of insight that that takes exactly that you that you have to have to ask for permission to connect with someone and to receive an answer of no without totally crumbling internally, you know? And how did we, how did we get there? Like through yeah. a shit ton of like um, therapy and yeah. conversation and like a billion dollars worth of school and mm-hmm. like Practice. a litany of trauma. Yeah, seeing things modeled, but also then like for me coming to HQ, I'm gonna cry, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Coming to HQ and having experiences of like full acceptance. Like Mm -hmm. I get to have feelings and I don't have to feel the need to hide those things. Like, but like it, I had the insight that I was sensitive before. And then I had the experience of acceptance. (laughs) Um, And so, and, and that was the thing that encouraged me to keep using those communication skills was that like successful, um, experience of like me trying it one you know you got to be vulnerable without and then like not be shamed or judged and then you want to keep being vulnerable right and I think that like we can be the people on the hotline if we can tolerate the discomfort of this person's um approach to connection and 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 I recognize there are absolutely limits to what we are willing to tolerate a hundred percent that has to be true but there are also there's also room within those limits to um, de-escalate and use our vulnerability to show this person that it's okay for them to have the feelings that they're having and that they can still connect with us. And that's gonna encourage them to gain insight first and foremost, and then to continue practicing that skill. So that's a lot of responsibility put on us, but it's just something that just clicked clicked in my brain and it feels really beautiful to me. Yeah, well said. It is really beautiful. I, I think that the, the piece, the vulnerability piece is an important part when talking about what role trauma plays. Because because for many people, most people, a lot of people who've experienced trauma, um, 
in their mind, that's connected to being too vulnerable. Yep. Yep. And, and, and however that looks Mm -hmm. right. Like vulnerability sort of pops up as I was vulnerable in this situation because I was in the dark or because I was a kid or because blah, 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 all these reasons. Because I was too trusting, you know, like whatever. So it is terrifying. The idea of being vulnerable is effing terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and those big feelings are often like vulnerable feelings. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of times anger is a way to push ourselves away from those Mm -hmm. big feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so the balance that we strike, which is again, like you said, Erica, a lot of responsibility on the counselor's part, but the balance we strike is being able to show up on those calls with vulnerability and empathy, but also to not hold them as our own and our Mm -hmm. own responsibility and to take them on as, as, personal. Mm-hmm. And so we're sort of asking people to strike that balance between um, showing up and being in the moment and being vulnerable and being empathetic and then putting that down when the call ends. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hard place to come to that, that like mm-hmm. no one I think disputes that. Yeah. But so much of what it, that caller is experiencing is about their own self-worth mm-hmm. and their own self-efficacy and their own self-respect. Mm-hmm. And all of that is, is about them and not about yep. the counselor mm-hmm. or the other people in their world. And if you can oftentimes approach those calls from this person is experiencing such a huge lack of self-worth that they cannot, they do not have the skills or the ability to connect on a, like a positive or emotional or meaningful level. And so how, how do I show up? where I can help that process, even just a little bit, you may not turn it around in that moment, right. but if you can at least validate some shit, yeah. you know, and, and then, then that's a start, right? Yeah. And because I think, I mean, you know, all of this is, is related, right? Like, like so much of just trauma in general has to do with relationship. Like most trauma aside from like accidents are relational traumas. And the, the impact of relational trauma is a decrease in self-worth most of the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, 100%. And yeah, and so um, if someone is, you know, doesn't really understand, you know, can't, can't say like, I'm a piece of shit because I, and, and like, or I feel like I'm a piece of shit, I don't have any self-worth. Like, that's not, that's not how people typically come out of the gate. Sometimes, sometimes they do. Um, but often it's not like that it's, it's with anger. And if we can say like, you know what, like your feelings of anger are valid. Like the, the, the things that have happened to you aren't okay. And also they weren't your fault. And also they weren't my fault. They weren't my fault. I didn't do that to you. I'm here because I want to listen to you. Like even just being able to say that when people are challenging you as a counselor to say, you know what, like, I know that there's no way that I can prove this to you, but I'm here because I want to listen and because I have inherent hope for people. And that is just me. That's, that's how I show up. And I'm ready to do whatever, like whatever I can in this moment to, to, to connect with you, um, in a, you know, like an inappropriate way. Uh, (laughs) uh, Like to connect with you, but appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, be be that requires the counselor to that is a vulnerable act like to to be able to say like 
I, I don't have any expectation that I can fix what's going on for you, but I'm here because I care and I want to listen. That's why I show up to this work. Um, and because I think you have worth. Yeah, it's, because it's I a, think you have worth. And it seems like a type of modeling and also a yep. certain, there's a certain degree of self-disclosure, but I think safe self-disclosure Yep. in that it, it's a value that our organization holds. Yep. We're, we're expressing not a personal opinion so much as um it, calculated it, exposure yeah calculated exposure that's a good way of mm -hmm. framing it and it, i mean the reason we're talking about this is because these types of calls are a direct contributor to burnout and compassion mm -hmm. fatigue it's one of the the risks associated with doing this type of work um it's present both on crisis lines and it's present in mental health work in general like exposure to individuals who behave in ways that challenges us um, like both personally and professionally mm -hmm. and you know we're our assertiveness skills are essentially um, strategies for reducing that impact the impact that that these contacts have on us um, and ideally we reduce our exposure altogether um, that takes place more on a on a system level yeah. how do we how do we prevent these kind of contacts well let's prevent trauma <laughs> yeah um, that's not something we achieve on the crisis line but it is helpful to think about um like we aren't we, we're the recipient but we're not necessarily the target and we're mm -hmm. also like not the cause so yeah jared uh and one thing that or the thing that kristen said earlier about when when a caller is you know using the line in a manipulative way or a aggressive way or whatever um that it has a lot to do with self-worth i i have just um come full circle to the thought that i was trying to make earlier which was that um when i go into those calls really any shift like i i didn't always have this but over the years I know my self-worth and I know my, like I have ownership over my story and my experience. And so when someone challenges me, I don't, I don't question myself when they question me, if that makes sense. And I think that that's a way to sort of build that wall of like not taking things personally is because Protective I person. know, I know why I'm here. And I know that what I'm doing is the best that I can. And, and that, that I know my intention and I know that I'm also not the fucking savior for every single person. And that was never my intention in the first place. And maybe I'm not even the best counselor for every person out there. And maybe that's why some calls don't go well. Like it, it like I don't expect myself to be a good fit for every person. I know that the skills that I have work um, and, and when people question that, that's not about me. Like, I think it's, I think it, it's about like, as much as it is about the caller's self-worth, it also has to be about our own. Mm. That is yeah, how, absolutely. that is how we protect ourselves. We have to, one of the, I mean, one of the reasons, yeah. One of the reasons that I tell people in, in like counseling appointments, like in our first appointment, um, that there are other counselors out there. Mm -hmm. Like I will say, I think this is a good fit and that we can work together. I also um, like need, need it to be in the room that if you don't think it's a good fit, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And so we can change our approach 
or I can give you resources, or I can help you find someone that is a good fit. I say that for them, but I also say that for myself, yeah. right? As a reminder that I, I can't be everything for everyone and that's okay. And there mm -hmm. are times where people aren't gonna connect mm -hmm. as much as I want everyone to be able to connect, mm -hmm. as much as I wanna be able to be helpful to everyone. There are times where that's not gonna be true. And that isn't a reflection of my ability or my empathy or my mm -hmm. vulnerability. It is just a reflection of people. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's why I, I don't necessarily believe that one modality fits all for things, you know, like we, not everybody is going to get, who feels anxious is going to connect to CBT therapy, right? That isn't going to cure with my quote fingers, everyone. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay because everybody is different and they have their own experiences. And so if you have that belief and that like sort of inherent self-worth belief for yourself, like you said, mm -hmm. that it makes answering the phones much more. And so, and sometimes you have to do that before every shift, before every mm -hmm. call. Like if you have to stand with your hands on your hips and your head in the air, like a superhero before you answer the phone, <laughs> just to connect to like that self-worth, Yeah, do it. Like yeah. whatever you have to hype yourself up in order to to yeah. like really embed that in your worldview. Yeah. It's a it's a really important skill, not just on the phone too. I have this conversation a lot with my clinical supervisor. She's incredible. Her name's Sydney Spears. Um, and she does a lot of work with people of color who have experienced lots of racial oppression. Um, and we have this conversation around like you like if you're a person of color, you wake up and you don't have control over the way that people treat you. Um, you don't have control over the way that the system oppresses you. And that can be a really hopeless experience. So what can you do when you can't change the circumstance? What can you do to cope with that? Because I don't wanna, you know, the argument is that a lot of people that she works with, they don't wanna feel like a victim all the time. They don't wanna feel like this hopeless um, experience is the only experience. Uh, but, I, and she's brilliant and I'm, and I'm like not even close to being on her level, but really like for her, she teaches these workshops and what the answer comes down to is mindful self-compassion. Like you have to have self, self-compassion and you have to actively practice self-compassion so that, um, you can own your own, your own self, your own stuff when you feel like people are against you or the system's against you or the caller is against you. Um, so I don't know, look it up, Google mindful self-compassion. <laughs> I, I like that. We've, we've I like that we ended it on just Google it y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been a little bit more philosophical than I anticipated, but I think we also sprinkled yeah. in some, uh, some practical things to say and do, or at least like some approaches that give you ideas about things to say and do when, when encountering these types of callers. I think if, if people have questions about specific language to use, Mm -hmm. reach out to us um because i know that in definitely the, i know mm -hmm. that in the in these moments oftentimes we're our flash of adrenaline is caused by our lack of words like we mm -hmm. we don't have the words to respond when you know someone makes a request that feels inappropriate or we're just not sure what to say mm -hmm. um to communicate an assertive limit or boundary um so yeah if you if you, if you have questions about language to use reach out to us but I will say, but I will say, Jared, that the thing you said about value reflections in the beginning, I think, can be 
incredibly valuable because a lot <laughs> of times, no matter what the call is, you can pull out a value. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just reflecting that value back can be the thing that breaks the cycle, yeah. right? So yeah. like, ju- like even the, are you old enough? Are you getting paid for this? Are you qualified for this? You know, like, what do they value there? They, they value somebody who is showing up for them or is qualified or who's willing to listen. Like, it sounds like, you know, it's really important to you that the person you're talking to is there for you or mm-hmm. is qualified or whatever, you know? I mean, like so much of the time we can pull a value from like screaming anger or <laughs> manipulation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And that can be a really helpful way to, to give yourself time to think of other things to say, but maybe also to, to like, move the call in a different direction right yeah, yeah. and if, if our, i think if our brains like prepared for that in a calm state even if you mm-hmm. have to take a beat and say you know what is it, what do you value here yeah, yeah I, I need to t- take a second to respond to that um yeah um yeah i i i think this conversation was fun i don't know i mm-hmm. hope, hope you all enjoyed it yeah um, fun yeah i missed these yeah so we'll uh We'll come at folks with some some other topics related to the call room soon. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Be kind to yourself. Bye. Bye.